Brother Rick and Carol had an exciting day yesterday. Uh, their youngest daughter was married, and Rick uh, performed the ceremony. And uh, what a great song, my dear brother. And how true. I uh, think the, the longer I live, particularly as a Christian, the, the more I realize this earth is not my home. Well, turn in the Word of God to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 14. In our last study of Romans, we looked at that awesome invitation in Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord to save you? And now, beginning with verse 14 and going through verse 21, <coughs> Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us what must take place first before one can call on the name of the Lord and believe the gospel and be saved. So follow along as we read the passage, and then I'll go back through it. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I provoke you, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. When Paul writes this letter to the Roman church directly and to all believers in churches uh, also in application, he understands that there are some Jewish believers there. Uh, the church, for the most part in Rome, was made up of Gentiles, but there were some saved uh, Jewish people. But the Jews as a whole were rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, the church has been going on about 20 years when Paul writes this, uh, from the time after the cross. So they've been spreading the gospel for 20 years. And at first, if you read the book of Acts, uh, the first Christians were Jewish people. They were embracing the faith. And then... Uh, the Jewish nation as a whole turned their backs on Jesus Christ and began to be uh, great persecutors of the Christian faith. And so some of the Jews didn't understand why in the world would they be God's special chosen people in the Old Testament. After all, every Old Testament book, all 39 of the Old Testament books were written by uh, Jewish people. And the Ten Commandments came to the Jewish people. And they didn't understand why would God so bless us in the Old Testament era. And now 
opened the door so wide to the very people who were the persecutors of us in the Old Testament days, the Gentiles. And so Romans chapter 9, <coughs> chapter 10, and, verse, and chapter 11 uh, deal with that very subject and Paul's answering that question. And today we're going to see in this passage, the Lord has rejected Israel as a whole because Israel has rejected the Lord. Let's get things in order. So we're looking at what it takes to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And for the most part, Israel's not doing that. But now don't turn off because even though he's speaking, especially to Israel in the context of this passage, uh, the Bible is for all of us. And he's speaking to us by application as well. First of all, before you can do what verse 13 says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And before you can do what that classic Romans Road passage says in chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I hope everybody here has done that. But before you can believe in your heart in Christ Jesus, as your Savior and Lord, and call upon the Lord sincerely to be saved, uh, there's some things that have to take place. And the first one is somebody has to witness to you. Now, for me, it was Billy Graham on TV. You know, I think TV's, a, for the most part, a pretty horrible thing. I have a ten most wanted list. Thank the Lord it's down to about seven and a half now. Uh, things I pray for me about every day. And uh, one of them is that I would be delivered from watching too much TV, too much television. Sometimes I call it television. It's hard to find anything decent on TV. Well, that's another sermon. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. But it was through a television evangelist, Billy Graham, uh, that I was witness to with the gospel. If you did not hear the gospel, how can you believe the gospel? And you know, it's very important that we as Christians model Christ-likeness. That's taught throughout the Bible. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We don't want to be hypocrites. And we want to live good Christian lives before our family, before our friends, before our neighbors, before our work associates, and in the world about us today, but never be deceived into thinking that someone can be saved just by seeing your example. They have to be told the good news message. They have to be. And that's what he's going to bring out in these verses. How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? You can't call on Christ if you don't believe in Christ. And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? How are you going to believe on Christ if no one's ever told you that he died for your sins on the cross and rose from the grave, and he's the Lord and Savior. They've got to hear. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, yes, uh, actually, uh, the word preacher here means an announcer or proclaimer of the gospel. And it specifically refers to people like me. But 
it also refers to all of us. We're all to be proclaiming the gospel. Turn back to the book of Acts just for a moment. Acts chapter 8. That great commission uh, to go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, it was given to the apostles, but the apostles uh, were the foundations of the early church, and therefore it's given indirectly to every believer. Acts 1.8, after that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And that word means a verbal witness. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Then you're to be a witness to the gospel of Christ. But persecution set in in the church in Acts chapter 8. And, uh, and the folks in Jerusalem were scattered out of Jerusalem, the Christians. And look at what they did, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, and this is referring to lay Christians, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So although we go back to our text, and although not all of us are called to be evangelists, we're not all called to be missionaries, we don't all have the gift of evangelism. Every Christian has the responsibility of sharing the gospel and telling others about salvation in Jesus. Have you ever led anybody to Christ? You know, there's a lot of things down here we can't take to heaven. You know, there's a lot of things down here that we enjoy that we can't take to heaven. But I know of one thing we can take to heaven, and that is the soul of someone that we have led to faith in Jesus Christ. Are you going to have anybody there? I remember years ago I was preaching a revival in a church, and I'd preached there a year or so before. And the service was ended, and I was walking to my car, and it was dark, and I felt something tug my coat tail, and I looked back, and there was this little boy, and he said, Brother Jack, when you were here a year ago, you saved me. Of course, I didn't save anybody. We don't save anybody. Jesus saved, but uh, that wasn't the time to try to explain that to him. And I thought as I drove uh, back home that night, it's about an hour and a half drive, I thought, I hope when I get to heaven, somebody will tug on my robe tail or coat tail or something and say, Brother Jack, do you remember you shared Jesus with me? Have you ever led anybody to Christ, folks? I mean, we got the marching orders. I heard about a, a fellow who loved children, and he built a huge amusement park. I mean, it had the Ferris wheels, it had the rides, it had the clowns, it had the animal shows, it had the food. It was awesome. And he opened up this wonderful amusement park for children, and no one showed up. And then he remembered, oh, I forgot to invite them. Well, Jesus has opened up something better for us than an amusement park. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And he wants it to be filled with his children, but we must ask them. We're the ones, we're the messengers that must be asking people to receive the gospel of Christ. Well, let's move on. Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they're sent? <clears throat> and we are sent by the Holy Spirit. We are sent by passages such as the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, 
And then he quotes, he quotes from several of the Old Testament passages because, again, he's speaking to the Jewish people, and they're familiar with the Old Testament. And I love this. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And he quotes from Isaiah 52, 7 here. And the context was the children of Israel had been in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And all of a sudden, this messenger comes and he said, the captives have been set free. We're no longer in Babylonian captivity. And a remnant's coming back to their homeland, Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. And the people were so excited that they were no longer going to be captive. And the people were coming back home and they said, how beautiful are the feet of this messenger that brought that message. Back in that day, they didn't drive cars. Back in that day, they didn't have airplanes. They, the messengers traveled by foot. And so he's symbolically speaking. Do you have beautiful feet? I'm talking about in the sight of God. I wonder how many of you remember when I was pastoring here the first time and we had John Bramlett here to hold a revival. Any of you remember that? If you were here, you remember John Bramlett. He's in heaven. And I remember one night, you know, he played pro. He played college ball. He played pro baseball. He played pro football. And uh, one night he came to this passage, how beautiful are the feet of those that share the gospel. And he was a soul winner on... And you know what that rascal did? Right here in this pulpit, he took off his shoes. And he said, ain't my feet pretty? Folks, he had the gnarled up, ugliest looking feet I've ever seen in my life. But it is right in the sight of God, his feet were beautiful. Because wherever John went, he sought to tell other people about Jesus Christ. How are your feet? How do your feet look to God? Well, if you're someone who shares the good news, you've got beautiful feet. Okay, so that's the first thing. If anybody's going to call upon the name of the Lord, child of God, we need to just, you know, kind of punch ourselves in the ribcage and say, hey, we've heard it before. Brother Jack's bringing it to us again. The Lord wants us to hear it again. We've got to get off our duff, and we've got to start witnessing to people. That's right. Before you can call on the name of the Lord, somebody's got to tell you about the Lord, okay? Now, the second thing is, not all people will receive the Lord. In fact, the majority of people will reject the Lord. It's sad. It just shows how fallen and sinful we are. Jesus said, enter in at the straight gate, for broad is the way uh, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, because narrow is the way, and straight is the gate that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And in John 10, 9, he says, And I am the gate, I am the door, I am the way. Dr. Gray Allison, another fervent soul winner. If you know Dr. Gray, he's spoken here before. He's 90 years old now and still preaching the founder of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. Boy, is he a soul winner. Dr. Gray says that about one out of every four people he shares Jesus with really are saved. Now, I think, I don't know for sure, I think he's basing that on the parable of the sower, which is a very important parable. 
The seed is sown and only one out of the four really brings forth the fruit of salvation. You say, well, my goodness, but thank God for that one. You see, thank God for that one. You never know when that one is going to be saved. But the problem with Israel wasn't that God had rejected them as much as they had rejected the gospel. And that's in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel by believing and receiving Christ. Quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, and that's the passage about Jesus as the suffering servant. See, the Jewish people wanted a Messiah, a great king to set them free, but they didn't want someone who would die on a cross. But the cross had to come before the crown, and it became a stumbling block to them. And that's where this quote comes from, Isaiah 53. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Boy, that's an important verse. I quote it all the time. As Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, where there's no word of God, there's no work of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, I was going to preach a message to you today on time. Time. Had the cutest little outline. The T stands for treasure time. The I stands for invest time. You might want to take this down. The I stands for invest time. The M stands for manage time. And the E stands for enjoy time. Ain't that cute? That was the cutest little outline. I worked for hours on that. And when I got through, I didn't have enough scripture in it for anything. And that's why I'm not preaching it. Why? Because it's not cute little sayings that save souls. It's the word of God. You know, we've not been called to entertain people. We've been called to give forth the word of God. For faith, saving faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? And this is a question that demands a yes. Remember, the church has been going for 20 years now. And when you read about the evangelism and the spread of the gospel in the early church, it is amazing. When you realize they didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, it is amazing. Historians even write about how amazing it was how far evangelism spread. And he quotes from Psalm 19, their sound has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It's not that the Jewish people had not heard the gospel they had. And if you're here today and you're lost, it's not that you hadn't heard the gospel. You know, just like there are degrees of reward in heaven, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Some places in hell are hotter than others. And one of the things that will determine... Your degree, hope none of you actually go to hell. I hope all of you are saved. But one of the things that will determine someone's degree of hell in hell will be how many, how much light did they have of the gospel? How much revelation did they have of the gospel? I feel sorry for folks in the United States of America who go to hell, who reject Christ, because you've heard it and 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 you've heard it. And yet you still reject it. And that's the way these folks were. Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? Yes, they knew. They they knew the day would come that God would turn to the Gentiles. Why are they so blown away by this now? And he quotes from Deuteronomy 32. God says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. That's the Gentiles. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And that's the way they pictured the Gentiles. 
Let me tell you, God wants to save you. God wants to use you. God wants to use this church. But if we don't get with it, you know what? He's not going to give up. He's going to find somebody else that he'll save. He's going to find somebody who will receive. He's going to find a church that will get with the program. He's going to find a servant that will love the Lord with all their heart. That's God. Don't let somebody else take your place. All right? Be all God wants you to be. Verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who do not seek me. He's referring to the Gentiles. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Referring to the Gentiles. And then the last point is simply this. God's gracious invitation is still extended to Israel. And that's one reason we have two Jewish people sitting on the second row today who know the Lord and one who's a dear friend of mine. Not that Shane isn't either. She's just not as old as Barry. Barry's old. But to Israel he says, last verse, verse 21, but to Israel he says, and this is a quote from Isaiah 65, all day long I've stretched, and the Greek language indicates he's still doing this. What a patient, gracious God. I've seen parents put up with a lot with rebellious children. And I've seen that because I've looked in the mirror back when my kids were teenagers. I was talking to someone last night and they had a little 18-month-old uh, boy and he was so cute. I said, let me tell you, every stage is so cute till they get to be teenagers. I've seen parents put up with a lot, but it can't compare with how patient God is. All day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And I was watching my grandson play soccer a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> and uh, one of the soccer players on his team got knocked down. And the guy didn't intentionally do it. And, and he, he reached out, reached out his hand, you know, to help him up. I thought, boy, that's good sportsmanship. And that player pushed it away. Don't know that player's name. Don't know much about him. I, I just will, I don't know how long, probably will remember it a long time, how he just pushed that hand away. Well, that was pretty bad sportsmanship. But if you push God's hand away, eternity's in the balance. Don't do it. He's reaching out to you now. You say, well, I'm waiting on God to do. What do you want him to do? He gave his only son to die for you. He's reaching out his arms in love to you. The ball's in your court, dude. It's time for you to respond. Would you do that today if you never have? Let's stand together and pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. First and foremost, is there anybody here who's never called on the name of the Lord to be saved? You say, what does that mean? That means, first of all, you realize you need to be saved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means, secondly, you understand your sin separates you from God. The wages of sin is death. 
God is holy, heaven is perfect, and no sin can enter therein. And if you're a sinner, and you are and I am, then we're separated from God because of our sin. We've got a barrier between us. It means you realize God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may not understand it. I don't fully understand it. But I'll tell you this. On that cross, Jesus Christ took away that barrier. On that cross, he removed that sin barrier by dying in your place and mine. And he rose from the grave to prove it. But the last thing is you have to receive him. Mama can't do it for you. Your daddy can't do it for you. Your preacher can't do it for you. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Jesus saves people one at a time. And the Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. God is reaching down his hand to you right now. And it's time. It's time. It's time you just said no to pride. It's time you... You came and gave your heart to Jesus Christ. I'm going to be standing down front here in a moment. The invitation is being played. We've got other ministers and counselors here. And if you've never made a profession of faith, you need to do it today. If you're saved and you've not been baptized, that's like putting on the team colors. Who would want to join a team and be unashamed to wear the team colors? If you're saved, you should want to be baptized. And so if you need to make one of those decisions today, you come during this invitation time. And then listen, brothers and sisters, one of, there's some good changes that have taken place in the church over the years. There's some good changes. But there's some bad. Let me tell you one of the bad changes that's taken place. It's good that we all want to do hands-on mission work now. That's good. But you know what I'm saying? And I'm glad that needs to increase we are neglecting telling people about Jesus. It used to be you'd have a, a soul winning conference, a witnessing conference, at least once a year in every church. Southern Baptist, where are they these days? What do you think they're going to get saved by osmosis? And so, child of God, maybe today you need to rededicate. I need to rededicate our life to speaking the truth in love and sharing good news message with a lost and dying world. John MacArthur said, I heard him speak in person once, and he said, he said, I think the only reason the Lord leaves us here after we get saved is so we can tell others about Jesus. Father, speak to our hearts today and move your people in Jesus.